Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm really excited to get into this episode with my friend April Kaiserlian. April is a psychotherapist in Grand Rapids, Michigan and a mindfulness teacher. Uh, but more than that, April is a deeply authentic human being. She shows up with great courage and compassion to herself and to those around her. And I think as we get into this episode, we are all going to experience a bit of an invitation to turn towards our own pain and suffering with a deeper sense of compassion and less avoidance. There's a term that kept coming up for me as I was talking to April. Uh, we didn't overtly talk about it, but the term is spiritual bypassing. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but it basically has to do with any sort of spiritual practices or techniques or anything like that that we use to avoid our own pain rather than turning towards it. Robert Augustus Masters is an author who writes about spiritual bypassing, and he calls it avoidance in holy drag, which I love. Spiritual bypassing, he says, is the use of spiritual practices and beliefs to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, unresolved wounds, and developmental needs. It is much more common than we might think, and in fact is so pervasive as to go largely unnoticed, except in its more obvious extremes. Part of the reason for this is that we tend not to have very much tolerance, both personally and collectively, for facing, entering, and working through our pain, strongly preferring pain-numbing solutions, regardless of how much suffering such remedies may catalyze. Spiritual bypassing is a very persistent shadow of spirituality, manifesting in many ways, often without being acknowledged as such. He goes on to say that aspects of spiritual bypassing include exaggerated detachment, emotional numbing and repression, overemphasis on the positive, anger phobia, blind or overly tolerant compassion, weak or too porous boundaries, lopsided development that favors cognitive intelligence over emotional and moral intelligence, debilitating judgment about one's negativity or shadow elements, devaluation of personal and I'm sorry, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, and delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being. And while April and I don't overtly talk about spiritual bypassing in this episode, there's an authenticity to April that doesn't tolerate it in her own life. In fact, at one point, she says that any tool or technique has to meet me in my suffering or it's not worth my time. So with all that being said, I invite you to listen into this conversation with April. But before that, you are listening to Why in the World, a podcast focused on deep dive conversations, exploring meaning, purpose, and why we show up in the world the way we do. I'm your host, psychotherapist, Brian Nixon. podcast. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Um, I feel feel grateful to have you on. We've known each other for, man, almost a decade, I would guess. I think it was yeah. eight years ago that I took the mindfulness-based stress reduction course with you. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that I, I remember about that experience that has stuck with me about you and um, what's just created a fondness in me for you is mm -hmm. you have an ability to show up in the world with humor, with authenticity. I remember signing up for the mindfulness class and wondering what it was going to be like, um, mm -hmm. thinking I'm going to go into this class and there's going to be some sort of enlightened guru who <laughs> may be able to levitate and, um, and I'm going to realize like what a mess my life is. Um, but my actual experience in mm -hmm. there was like you, you taught mindfulness through the, the lens of the mess. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so I really appreciated that and still appreciate that. I think you, you still show up that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, like, what question comes out of that for me? Um, I think the question that most comes up is like, how have you learned to uh, sort of embrace the mess um, 
not reject it, not use something like mindfulness to push it away or to mm. block it out, um, but instead to en- engage it differently? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say I had the accidental good fortune hmm. of having suffering modeled to me in my family of origin. Um, the accidental good fortune. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because my parents didn't do that on purpose, nor did any of my extended family members, but I was born into a framework of suffering. Hmm. And so I was exposed to it from a young age, and I was exposed to people who were almost constantly in struggle. And so it doesn't seem foreign to me. I don't, I don't remember a time when I didn't know struggle, Brian. Mm. I watched my mom and dad, my mom in particular, wrestle through her demons most of my childhood years growing up. And so I was immersed in it. And, and so I, it's almost like I can say to you, I don't know a different way to live. Mm. And some of my work is to balance that out. Uh, I joke that people are either pep junkies or pain junkies. Huh. I'm a self-professed pain junkie. Okay. I will, uh, I've felt bad about that over the years, but I will always swing that way. And I, in fact, I feel now, not feel, I'm fiercely committed to protecting people's right to suffer. Hmm. And even in that, again, I have to watch it because uh, I need to also honor the place of joy and contentment and ease in life. And those things build in a lot of resiliency for facing suffering. And so, yeah, in my own journey, I've, I've always known people who have suffered and struggled. And so for me to come to the practice of mindfulness and to use it as a means of denying struggle didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And I was struggling so much in my life when I discovered mindfulness that I think I have a strong radar for any tool, any technique has to meet me in my suffering mm. or it's not worth my time. Again, I, I read one time that as a writer, you tend to write for the people who were around your kitchen table growing up. And I would say I teach and I do therapy in much the same way. And so I was raised with around people who, again, struggled, blue collar, um, carpenters, uh, a lot of relatives in and out of prison. I mean, I saw a lot of things like that as a kid growing up. And so I think that whenever I come across a technique or a tool that I'm intrigued by, I almost intuitively ask, well, would this work for my aunt Hmm. who's struggled with alcoholism her whole life? Could it meet her? Could it meet my uncle, uh, my cousin, my mom, my sister? And so I haven't intentionally set out to live that way, but it's that's where it's an accidental fortune because I've watched many people struggle over the years with the idea of suffering or struggling uh, that life isn't fair or somehow I'm entitled to not suffer. Mm -hmm. I don't, I've had my issues of entitlement to be sure, Sure. (laughs) Uh, but I'm grateful for that. And it, it took some years in my own therapy to understand that the thing that's made me strong, um, I was also allowed to feel sad about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, my own meditation mentor just the other day said something about me being heroic uh, about suffering and mm. I couldn't deny it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to keep an eye on that. Hmm. So. Heroic about suffering. Mm-hmm. What, did, what did that mean? I I was recounting, you know, he and I are getting to know each other still, and I was recounting some of my recent struggles uh, in the last five years or so. And I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, 
It, it could be that even in some of the recent struggles in my life, uh, I spoke to the fact that I can be fairly stubborn when it comes to suffering. And I'm trying not to swear right now, Brian. Go for it. <laughs> uh, oh, well, in the last five years, it was in ten, even in the last 10 years, I was just going to face that motherfucker down. Mm. Like I, I, as a psychotherapist, I support um, any tool that people have to use uh, to raise the floor so that there's enough resilience and strength online to face suffering. And I was pretty convinced, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. I've been in uh, intensive therapy over the years, both group and individual. I'm a meditation teacher. I practice meditation. I teach self-compassion. I have an incredible support system of friends and colleagues. And I just felt like if I can't face this with these kind of tools, I don't know who can. <laughs> like, yeah. So I just, I was, I think my meditation mentor was hearing my Again, that heroism I tend to have of I'm going to put all of this to the test. Okay. Uh, like I'm just going to face it down. I'm going to turn and look at square in the eyes. And and somewhere in there he just dropped in the word, oh, like kind of heroic, right? And huh. it was helpful because uh, it does have a very like superhero quality. Oh, to it does. It. Like, and I can I, picture you with a cape on. Yes, instantly. It's like if you, people can't see me, but like arm lifted in the air, mm -hmm. cape on, like I'm Superman about to like launch mm -hmm. into the air. Uh, and I I related immediately to that word uh, so much more than like the word martyr. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I will. I'm learning to own that aspect, or that's kind of the shadow side of being exposed to so much suffering. I can handle a lot, and that can get me into trouble sometimes. Huh. So, What kind of trouble? Two things almost immediately come to mind. One, I may not ask for help when I need help. That could be in the form of contacting a friend, a therapist, it could be going on medication. I can look back and there are at points in my journey where I think medication could have been helpful. Mm. And I think I was a bit heroic about it and I made it through, but I could have, it could have been easier on me. Mm -hmm. I could have been easier on myself. So one is reaching for the supports that are available. And then two would be uh, because I can handle a lot. I don't always set good boundaries with it then. Um, I can draw the line, I don't know if you want to say kind of low in terms of what I expect. And so I have to keep an eye on that too. Because um, I think sometimes I have a skewed sense of what is struggle or suffering because I can mm -hmm. kind of, I've seen it, I can take it. Yeah. Doesn't mean I should take it though. Right. So that can be a, a danger. Yeah, that's that's interesting to think about that in light of the the heroic element mm -hmm. that superheroes can endure things that mere mortals can't. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there's a there's a beauty and a power in that. And there's mm -hmm. also, like you said, a shadow side of like a loneliness, a loneliness, a sense of mm -hmm. I'm in this alone, but it's up to me to to face it down alone and and beat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you, you use the word or the distinction between a hero and a martyr in terms of this. And so mm -hmm. how do you how do you parse out the difference between the two of those? Mm. It's more like the almost like the posture. Again, you can when I say the word super superhero or mm -hmm. you do, right? Mm -hmm. Almost immediately an image comes to mind. I think of superwoman or mm -hmm. superman with that cape and their gaze is lifted upward. Uh, mm. They're going to fly. Uh, their mm -hmm. feet are not on the ground. Uh, to me, a martyr, well, if you take even like the image of Christ mm. with a cross on his back, he's more laid low to the earth. Um, there's a heaviness there, a burden to it, a willingness to carry. Uh, and again, both have their strengths and both have their shadows. But I almost think of one as... Um, this movement upward, and one is being 
uh, more laid low in the posture mm-hmm. towards suffering. So, hmm. um, yeah. Where I'm going to fight yeah. more than I am going to endure. And I'd almost think of a superhero fights. Mm-hmm. And maybe a martyr would endure uh, if that I'm, I'm talking off the cuff here. So. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> Those great. Those are the words that come to mind. Yeah. Where did that, that sort of fight for you come from? Again, I would say the uh, accidental good fortune of being raised in a context like of you, people who fought. Okay. Yeah, you were fought. To fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my mother is a survivor. Uh She's fared well than many of her relatives. Um, But, man, I watched even my cousins and aunts and uncles, more on my mom's side, but my dad's side, too. Um, They have hard lives, but they continue to fight, I think, under circumstances that most of us would just give up, Hmm. say, forget it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet they continue to live. So I I think I've just seen it. You just, it's what you do. And it's not pretty. Um, Sometimes that fighting spirit, a lot of damage is left in the wake of that too. People get hurt. So, um, you know, sometimes we fight with things like, um, well, fight with our fists, our words, um, substances. I mean, it can cause a lot of damage too, but. Um, but yeah, so I, I saw it. Mm-hmm. It was, again, the theme you might catch here, Brian, is it wasn't hidden from me. I knew my parents struggled. I knew the people around me struggled. And so I witnessed that wrestling firsthand mm-hmm. my whole life. So I think I learned it there. Yeah. My mom, of all people, shouldn't, she just shouldn't even be alive. Hmm. Uh, so the fact that she is who she is today, uh, is as healthy as she is and as loving as she is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. So. And so like how you live in the world, as you're saying, and I totally agree, is shaped by early childhood experiences, is mm-hmm. formed by how we see suffering, how we experience suffering, mm-hmm. and how we see it handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that mindfulness, like you, you're skeptical of tools or, or things if they can't meet you in the suffering. And so mm-hmm. I, I know you initially in the context of mindfulness. Like I would mm-hmm. think of mindfulness in Grand Rapids and you're the first face that would pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm aware that you've committed a large chunk of your life to mindfulness as a practice, to mm-hmm. um, t- to bringing it to the world in some way, like teaching the classes that you teach and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And and so I, it piques my curiosity around like how did how did mindfulness enter into the picture for you in terms of of that? Like how did it meet you in your suffering? Um, let's see. So mindfulness came into my life because of my struggle as a mother. And in those years of struggling, I initially was, well, I'd started a nonprofit from the ground Mm. up when I was pregnant for my first son. Hmm. Very heroic. Uh, Well, there you go. You're going (laughs) to, you'll catch the thread. It's not hard to catch once you, once I name it, I've exposed myself. Um, Yep. Uh, first time mother and birthed a nonprofit at the same time. There you go. Seemed perfectly normal to me, yeah, although very stressful. So, a couple of years into running the nonprofit, uh, my health crashed. Uh, my relationships were crashing. And so, I shut down the nonprofit, and it was a season of what I call the S's. I simplified, slowed down, uh, slowed down, embraced silence. Uh, stillness uh, and that did a lot to quiet the external static and noise in my life but it still felt like there was a hamster on a wheel in my chest Mm. sometimes in my head 
And so it was one late night of Googling. I was probably Googling uh, parenting, parenting timeout, parenting anger. I struggled with a lot of anger as a mother, and it wasn't a pretty anger. Uh, and so I remember that moment. It's one of those ones that are imprinted in my memory. I can see myself sitting at the desk the late hour that it was, I mean, probably midnight, one in the morning, just sheer desperation. I was in so much pain. And so I was, I don't know what I was, I guess that I think I was Googling those words and up popped mindfulness-based stress reduction. And Carol Hendershot, who became my business partner, mm -hmm. was teaching her first eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course. The first one. Yep, her first eight weeks. She taught some four-week mindfulness courses, but this was the first time she was going to teach the eight-week course. And I practically said it out loud. I said, all right, April, you can't get any quieter or any more still than a mindfulness course. And if this doesn't work, I don't know what we're going to do. Hmm. I was at my wit's end, and um, I was thankful that the languaging in the mindfulness course was very neutral because I was from a very well, <laughs> I'd created a very conservative container for myself. I, okay. My parents didn't hand me that. And so it, you know, mindfulness and meditation, yeah, they veered toward evil, wrong, hmm. shouldn't do them. Uh, but I was in enough pain that I was willing to try different things. And so I signed myself up for that course. And in some ways you could say the rest is history. Uh, it was life-changing for me and um, did you have any familiarity with what mindfulness was before signing up for the course no just the idea of meditation and i think the typical stereotypical views that people would have of it somebody sitting cross-legged focusing on their breath maybe chanting incense mm -hmm. those kind of like things like for me levitation Levitation for you. Right? <laughs> I was really disappointed to get through I'm, the eight-week course and not and be able I, to levitate. No, I still haven't learned to levitate. Although I am going indoor skydiving with my kids on Saturday, okay. which is more like levitating <laughs> than it is dropping out of a plane. So uh -huh. we're going to levitate on Saturday. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> so amazing. So there you go. <laughs> you, you can levitate. You just need a little assistance. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, so that's where my mindfulness journey started, and. It, again, it was life-changing. I've had to work out those early learnings. Here I am 10 years later, and I'm still working some of those out, mm -hmm. the epiphanies. Um, but it was such a significant shift for me uh, that, I mean, that was it. I was hooked. I joked with Carol from then on. She couldn't get rid of me, hmm. which I have a tendency to do. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm passionate about something, I'm I'm in. You know, I'll latch hold on. on to it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So... And then how did you become, I mean, I, I imagine hanging out with Carol and her not being able to get rid of you has something to do with it, but mm -hmm. how did the Grand Rapids Center for Mindfulness come to be where, like, the two of you decided, let's do this thing? Mm -hmm. Well, some of it was Carol couldn't get rid of me. She would recommend a book. I'd go read it. A week later, a couple weeks later, I'd call her up and be like, okay, what do I need to do next? Hmm. Went on a weekend silent retreat with her. Wasn't enough for me. Uh, went on a seven-day retreat. Still wasn't enough. Started the training with John Kabat-Zinn. And I think Carol was a couple of steps into the process of the training okay. with John Kabat-Zinn. And I was right on her heels. And so, you know, Carol had started many successful businesses in her lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so... She knew how to do that, and then I think when she understood I wasn't going to go away and I was very passionate about it and could see my capacity to articulate the practice and my commitment to it on a personal level, she's the one who was like, I think we should start a, hmm. a center. I think the first name was like the Grand River Center for Mindfulness, or mm -hmm. uh, we played with different names. I actually can remember the room I was in at Expressions of Grace when she and I talked about it. Okay. And just like a flash before my eyes of that space. And, uh, yeah. and Expressions of Grace was another business that Carol that had started. That was Carol's yoga studio. Okay. Yep. So, yep, that was where we started. That was 10 years ago. 
2000, 2009 or 2000, maybe it was January 2010. Okay. I think is when we officially incorporated. And I think I took the course in 2011. Pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so you got me as a, a newbie teacher. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> have been able to tell. Uh-huh. Oh, mm-hmm. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where it started. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, uh, Carol and I started doing a lot of presentations around the community, which I found incredibly nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. Teaching as well was nerve-wracking. I mean, it, I wasn't a natural at it, even though maybe you s- saw something that seemed natural. But I remember early on in that process saying, okay, This is extremely anxiety-producing and more questioning, do I have the energy to meet that, Hmm. um, the fatigue that comes with anxiety? And if at some point the anxiety didn't start to settle, I would maybe have my answer about teaching or presenting. But I was willing to give it a good few years of being anxious and somewhat miserable as I learned to teach. <laughs> Again, there's a heroic Absolutely. thread there. You're going to uh, turn towards it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew it wasn't going to, my anxiety wouldn't go away in like six months. I was putting myself in front of large audiences of people for the first time in my life and uh, made mistakes. Um just had awkward moments as a presenter and teacher, but I mm. was I was hooked. I that's when I found my teaching voice. I realized I'm a teacher. Although huh. eh, anybody who was in my speech classes in high school, Rockford High School, I apologize because <laughs> they got they got my speeches then too. My teaching thread it was already there. Mm. <laughs> just a different topic. Yep, but so, the, the thread was there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But mindfulness gave me something elegant to teach and I felt like a practice that helped me and helped other people be more human. Hmm. That's immediately what I picked up in the practice. And so I I didn't have the capacity to use mindfulness in any kind of bullshitting sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of that out there. Like mindfulness is really sexy culturally right now. Yeah. And there's all mm-hmm. sorts of gimmicks about what mm-hmm. mindfulness mm-hmm. can promise and what it can mm-hmm. do and how it can be packaged and yep. and all of these things. And um, and you haven't gone that route at all. Like I you, try not to. It's really important to me. Yeah. Well, I think one thing I've experienced in conversations with you over the years is a willingness to to be fully on board with it and mm-hmm. like a critic of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, like, like, I'm also thinking about, like, you're also a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And, like, you bring mindfulness into the work that you do with clients as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I was looking at your website and noticed, like, the ampersand as your logo, as your mm-hmm. sort of your superhero mark maybe. Uh, And I'm curious about that. Like, why Uh the ampersand? Uh, Well, I live and die by the word and. Um, On my website, I've tried to unpack that. The and uh, that life is both full of suffering and joy, or joy and suffering. You know, comes in both Mm. directions. But I find, especially in my work as a psychotherapist, it's very common, like one of the most common launching pads I find with a client is something like this. I have so much good in my life, but I'm struggling and I shouldn't be. And for me to take the but and turn it into an and, Mm. yeah, you've got so much good in your life and you're struggling. They're not... Again, because of my background, Brian, they're not mutually exclusive to Mm me. And that is one of the primary things I offer to my clients uh, is the permission of and. Mm -hmm. So that's important to me. And and you can take the and lightly. Uh, It's where I was at the time when I put my website together. And (laughs) it's what my website designer picked up on in our conversations because I would also say, like, on a creative level, uh, that is always changing for me. I could probably rewrite my website Mm. 
on the monthly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of work, though. Right. So we're just going to – it's good enough for now, mm -hmm. but it certainly captures a part of my heart and spirit is mm. the and. Yeah. For sure. So. Well, I think as a – as a student of yours in that class mm -hmm. um, nine years ago, mm -hmm. eight years ago, um, I've, I felt the invitation to the end, mm -hmm. you know, like the mm -hmm. fact that you would speak pretty openly about your, your own, I rem I'm remembering a story you told about like kids laundry, like a laundry folding meditation or something. Oh yeah. That's one of, still one of my favorite uh -huh. meditations. <laughs> yep. And just this, sense of like the chaos in your life didn't mm -hmm. go away but like you're in it differently yeah and that stood out to me as like a mindfulness meditation therapy whatever whatever mm -hmm. the tool is whatever mm -hmm. we're pursuing isn't a way to escape the chaos it's mm -hmm. it's an invitation to be in it it's mm -hmm. the and versus the but like you said and mm -hmm. um and so that that feels like a thread as well that's in there mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have more to say about that. Uh, I I suppose, I mean, I've tried a lot of things. I haven't eliminated the chaos yet. Mm -hmm. Somebody else has. <laughs> uh, well, I would say more power to them. Actually, I get pretty skeptical. Mm -hmm. That's just not how I experience being a human. It's not when you scratch beneath the surface of anybody's story, it's not how I know anybody to be. I think uh, there's the suffering, but then there's uh, the suffering of thinking you shouldn't be suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's the layer I keep an eye on as a teacher and as a psychotherapist. Yeah. The pain of that. Uh, I, I, I'm all for eliminating trauma and systemic uh, pain in our culture and in our world, by all means, we mm -hmm. have to advocate for those things. But the strange mystery of somehow coming to have a relationship with struggle and chaos and suffering, that it's mysteriously a part of life. I don't like it. Right. But it's there. Yeah. So I just recently I had a, a really painful incident happen right before I had to teach. And I needed to scream and I needed to cry, mm. but I had to go right into class. And so I had to essentially swallow it. I had to swallow that pain. I could feel the tension in my body. I could feel it sitting in my chest the whole time I was teaching. And I was struck by how the initial pain was painful, mm -hmm. but the pain of holding the pain tight not letting it move or express. I had to kind of bury it for a few hours. That was almost more painful. Mm -hmm. And so mindfulness to me, it's never taken away the initial threat of pain or chaos or struggle, but it's helped me have a more clear relationship with it. Mm. I don't resist it in the same way. I still resist. I mean, sure. people like to think as a mindfulness teacher that there's that wonderful formula, pain times resistance equals suffering. Mm -hmm. So we work on reducing resistance so that we no longer suffer, but we can't get rid of pain. And people, I think, sometimes think I'm a master at no longer resisting my pain. That's not true. Hmm. <laughs> it sounds like you've developed an ability to recognize more when that's happening, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if, if anything, that's a good way to put it, Brian. I may cycle through that resistance more quickly mm -hmm. than another person who hasn't practiced in the way that I have. I tend to catch it, or I'll hear it when somebody points it out to me. Mm -hmm. And there's part of me that sometimes wants to hold on there. Um, but yeah, I catch it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I imagine it feels different. You know, there's like a feeling tone to it. Mm -hmm. when you're resisting it that may feel different than the original pain mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that's part of what it sounds like you're inviting people to as well is mm -hmm. like let's let's identify this sort of secondary level of of mm -hmm. the suffering mm -hmm. um, so that you have an awareness around when that's happening and then mm -hmm. maybe there's more freedom to turn towards it or give it expression or mm -hmm. let it move mm-hmm yeah. I mean, it tends to 
show up like a lot of tension in the body, mm -hmm. uh, holding your breath, uh, muscles tightening in your jaw, forehead, shoulders, stomach clenching. Mm. Those tend to be classic signs of resisting. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not demonizing resisting. We're often doing it to try to stay safe, to protect ourselves. The finesse is noticing when it's actually doing more harm than good. Yeah, that's helpful but, mm -hmm. to know that like the impulse to resist does exist for a reason as well. That yeah. That there can be a time when that's needed. Like you, you need to tighten up and brace mm -hmm. and kind of armor yourself mm -hmm. for a time. But mm -hmm. the the idea of the finesse is mm -hmm. like that's really helpful. Yeah, I, I another thing I would say I teach is I teach discernment. I mm. uh, I don't know if you and I have talked about this recently, but I base almost all of my psychotherapy on the poem by Rumi, Birdwings. Hmm. And do you know it by heart? I know I don't. I need to memorize <laughs> it because I was I was going to do a short video on Instagram about it. Um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, Rumi. I have a funny story that has to do with having my eyebrows shaped. And Rumi came into <laughs> play in that moment, a 13th century Persian poet. And uh -huh. eyebrows have a lot more yeah, in common than people realize. I mean, I've always suspected it. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a story for another day. But all that to say, in the poem Bird Wings, Rumi's talking about grief. And then at one point he says, uh, and you can do this, you can stretch open your hand. He says, if your hand was always stretched open, you'd be paralyzed. Hmm. If your hand was always a fist, you'd be paralyzed. And he says, uh, life is essentially found in every small expanding and contracting, the two as beautifully balanced as bird wings. Hmm. So resistance tends to look like a person who's staying closed like a fist. Mm -hmm. And there's a place for making a fist or being that tight and that closed off in life. Uh, I think of like if you're walking down a dark alley and somebody comes at you in a threatening way, by all means, mm -hmm. make a literal fist or mm -hmm. tighten up, bear down. Uh, but as Rumi beautifully says, if you stay there, you'll be paralyzed. Trauma can look like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, staying in resistance can look like that. And so I also love that he says, but if your hand was always stretched open, uh, in a sense, if you stayed too open, you were unbounded, uh, you let everything in, uh, you'd be paralyzed in that position as well. Now, sometimes in intimate, safe, intimate relationships, I would say sometimes in safe therapeutic settings, uh, there's a place to be fully open and fully exposed. But again, we it's not healthy to stay there either. And so when I work with my students, with my clients, I'm often saying it's more this process of discerning mm when to close, when to open, and then there are a thousand gradations in between open and closed. Right. So it's a process of discernment, even with resistance. Um, I love that. So that, I, that's probably what should be on my website right now. That's mm. what I base almost all of my work on is so watching your, for your that. your logo now might be some bird wings or mm -hmm. an ampersand with bird wings. S something like that, <laughs> right? I just keep adding to my ampersand uh -huh. <laughs> different little images. So, mm. um, But I feel like that's what I'm watching for as a psychotherapist. Mm. Like is this, is this tightening, this tensing, this resisting? Is it helping? Let's study it together. Mm. Maybe it serves some function for you or maybe it did at one time can you use it a little more discerningly what's it like for you to open a bit I tend to have people sit in the chair across from me and they're more closed hmm. uh, there's more a tendency toward closed tight tense and then every once in a while I get somebody who just bounds into my office and like everything's on the table immediately and is really open hmm. And there's a beauty to that. Mm -hmm. And then it's like uh, there's a shadow to that as well. Mm -hmm. So, But uh, nothing's left out. I, I, that'd be another way to describe what I do. Nothing left out. I'm always mm. looking for as a teacher, as a mindfulness teacher, as a psychotherapist, just as a human, like what are you trying to leave out here? Mm. Because you're pretty much going to drag it around like a ball and chain. So let's take a look at it mm. carefully, slowly. Mm-hmm. Safely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because the nervous system, our, our hearts, our minds, 
our bodies get overwhelmed if we don't do that in a well that would be compassionate way a mm-hmm. wise way mm-hmm. so yeah you mentioned all of the sort of physical forms that resistance can take mm-hmm. in terms of tightening or mm-hmm. jaw clenched fist you know stomach tight mm-hmm. and all of that sort of thing and it's just such a reminder of how much the body is communicating to us all the time mm-hmm. like the body may know more than our mind does and mm-hmm. often does know more than our mind does mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. for me that that was another big takeaway from the mindfulness class of like how to not just listen to the constant stream of thoughts and try to think my way through a problem yeah. but like how do you actually embody this moment how do you feel into this moment yeah. Um, and not by what you think about your feelings, but what are, what is your body actually feeling? What is, mm-hmm. like you teach a, uh, the, the body scan meditation. Mm-hmm. And initially I hated it. Yeah, it's kind of, a, it's not an easy practice. Oh man, I hated it for a number of reasons. Yeah. Like one was like, I think I almost fell asleep the first time and might have like I fall startled asleep myself leading it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch me as a teacher, I no longer lay down when okay. I lead the body scan because I have fallen asleep. 20 minutes later, they're waking you up. Yep. Like, Are we done yet? <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> and no, you're like, no, you're, keep you're, going. <laughs> you're not alone in that. <laughs> I think it was like a like a partial snore that I let out that woke, <laughs> right, my, woke right, me up. Right. I'm, like, um, <laughs> I'm an expert on snoring mm-hmm. now, too. Yeah, but I I think the other thing I initially hated was there was so much more going on in my body than Mm -hmm. I ever imagined. Like, Mm -hmm. and not all like unpleasant stuff, but just Mm -hmm. like this is a flood of awareness all of a sudden. Like, I'm not just this floating head split off from the rest of me. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, my toes are a little cold and I I don't actually like the taste of a raisin or Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever Mm -hmm. it was like noticing tension in different like in my leg or Mm -hmm. in my shoulder and um but i over over the course of that class and then beyond i kind of fell in love with that practice Mm -hmm. as a way to really drop in and get a like take an inventory really Mm -hmm. um for Mm -hmm. me personally like i i can easily be just living in my head and pretty detached mm-hmm. from what I'm feeling, which often means I'm also detached from what my needs are mm-hmm. um, and what, you know, what boundaries should be in place or mm-hmm. what I should say yes to or no to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the body scan meditation in particular was one that helped me kind of find a, a radar for some of that. Of Like mm-hmm. there is this like just pain and tension in my shoulder right now. And the impulse might be like, I'm going to take some ibuprofen and maybe get a massage and see how I can make this go away. But there's a way, like you said at the beginning of like turning towards that and saying Mm -hmm. like, what's in there? Like, what is, what's going Mm -hmm. on? And, um, and I really have appreciated that over these past Mm -hmm. eight years too, of knowing like there is a way to, to access something that's not easily accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a practice, like you said, it's Mm -hmm. not, it doesn't come easily. Yeah. Um, Another another word that comes up for me when I think about you and when I think about how you, even the ampersand and like the, mm-hmm. the ability to hold things in tension that seem so opposite, mm-hmm. um, like suffering and joy, and mm-hmm. is the word trustworthy. There's, there's a trustworthiness to you that mm-hmm. um, I was drawn to early on, when, like mm-hmm. in that class too because you weren't splitting off the suffering to say like, if you just meditate hard enough and well enough, then you can bypass all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you mentioned like being sort of skeptical of different tools or techniques or remedies or whatever Mm -hmm. is promised that can make your suffering go away. And I think I feel the same. Like there's a, Mm -hmm. a skepticism if I can't sense that, like, are you, are you also engaged with mm-hmm. the shadow side? Are you mm-hmm. also engaged with the pain? Not mm-hmm. not just either or, but both and. And mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think I just wanted to mention that mm-hmm. as well. Trustworthy. Thanks, Brian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that to be true for myself in terms of like who are the who are the authors I like to read or who are mm-hmm. the um, the teachers that I feel most impacted by. And it's, it's almost always 
not, maybe not even almost always, it's always people that have the capacity for both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I've appreciated that about you. Mm. Well, it's the only thing that makes sense to me. I can't even, and, and I can't think outside of that paradigm. I think that's that's a gift because mm-hmm. of so much. I mean, as a psychotherapist, you sit with clients. As a mindfulness teacher, you see lots of students, and mm-hmm. um, and I I would have to imagine there's something of the rareness of that that you bump up against as mm-hmm. well. Like that's that doesn't come naturally for most people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad you're in this community, and I'm glad that you do the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and being here in Grand Rapids as a psychotherapist, as a mindfulness teacher, mm-hmm. um, if people are listening to this and having a sense of, like, something about this resonates, something, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, maybe they're similar to where you were when you were mm-hmm. at your wit's end and Googling, you know, for resources about mindfulness online. and. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're having that experience, how can they find you? They can find my teaching through the Grand Rapids Center for Mindfulness, so grandrapidscenterformindfulness.com. Mm-hmm. And Carol and I and a team of teachers, we offer classes year-round. So we have the eight-week classes, but now we do a lot of three-hour intros, and those are really popular for both mindfulness, self-compassion, the mindful eating course, mm-hmm. Uh, Carol's doing some intros to more of a mindful yoga. Mm. So certainly you can find me as a teacher that way. And then um, aprilkaiserlian.com, you can find me online, uh, my psychotherapy practice that way. I'm also, as you know, Brian, very active on social media. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun on Facebook and Instagram, writing and it's not just writing. I've got a lot of antics up my sleeves. <laughs> you're, you're artistic. Like you, you turn words into art a lot of times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which actually, um, I started doing word art more as a cover for wanting to be a writer. Hmm. So. As a cover? A cover. What it do you felt, mean? It, it felt like a, a safe way to hide my experimentation with writing. Hmm. So I love quotes. So. As you know, I often, I'll hand letter a quote, Mm -hmm. but, and I love that. I grew up in a family of artists as well. And if I had all the time in the world, I'd certainly would go develop more of my visual skills as an artist. But if there's a skill I'm going to continue to develop right now, it would be my capacity to write, Mm. write and teach. So that's- Like beyond mindfulness? Yeah, Mm. yeah. Developing a course on emotions. Mm And, uh, but I, yeah, I love to put new ideas together, uh, string kind of old and new, um, make new forms with words, ideas. Mm. Um, I once finally realized, like, I don't have wanderlust. Mm. Uh, as much as I, I hope to travel someday, I have some plans to do that. But I'll travel because I hope to be teaching around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I realize I don't have wanderlust. I have idea lust. <laughs> so that's, that's how yeah. I travel. I travel in my mind on okay. a regular basis. I have, uh, and so that's what I love on social media. But th- I have a performative aspect to me, too. So I've okay. got some fun things planned that way, too. That's great. Yeah. Are there, so you're working on a course on emotions. Mm-hmm. Are there other things you're writing as well? Like, are we talking books here? Well, I hope to. Yeah, I want to teach the emotions work first Mm -hmm. for a while. As much as I want to be a published author, boy, once you get in the writing world, I mean, books are a dime a dozen. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's so much easier to publish. um, And so I want to go that route eventually, but I want to offer something very practical and fleshed out. So I want to teach the material first, Hmm. make it a course, and hopefully turn that into a book. Uh, And yeah, I've got a a few ideas um, for books that way, but my hope would be to travel and teach. Uh, I'd stick a microphone in front of me and Hmm. I'm as happy as a peach. So (laughs) So you're pretty happy right now. I am, I am. Ask me questions, (laughs) let me go. That's great. Uh, So, and the emotions work, that has so much to do with 
being more fully human, our emotions change moment to moment. And rather than squelching the movement of emotions or being carried away by them, uh, I'm trying to come up with creative tools to help people um, discern the wisdom in their emotions, but also to be changed by their own emotional mm. experience. I think if you really, the Dalai Lama said something to the effect of, you know, how do you sum up all the Eastern teachings? And he said, um, life has changed. That's mm. it. So we sit in meditation, we stabilize our attention so that we can be present to this constant flow of change. Mm -hmm. And if, if you steady yourself there and allow yourself to be present to the change that's occurring literally every moment, it changes you as a person. You're never, you're never in the same moment twice, but if you have an intimacy with the moment, you're not the same person twice. Mm. And a huge part of that is the flow of emotions. So rather than tamping them down, um, again, or being swept away by them, how to ride emotions in the most exquisite way. Hmm. So that's, I don't have it all worked out, Brian, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun playing with that. So, I mean, I've come up with some of my own laws for emotions um, hmm. and some techniques that I continue to try out, both as a teacher and a psychotherapist, but... Um, I'm kind of mesmerized by that whole process. So. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Look mm -hmm. forward to seeing what mm -hmm. comes out of that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's still emerging. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, we'll wrap up here in a second, but I, could you spell th your website name? So if people sure. want to find it and don't know how to spell your last name. Mm -hmm. So it's April, just like the month, April Kaiserlian, which looks like Kaiser and then L-I-A-N, but I'll spell it. Okay. So it's A-P-R-I-L-K-A-I-S-E-R-L-I-A-N.com. Great. It's an Armenian name. Awesome. So. And we'll link to that as well. Thanks, Brian. Great. Thanks so much for coming on. Mm -hmm. Good to be here. I hope to come back. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Good. If you want to. I, I do. I want to. Great. We'll put a microphone in your face and <laughs> let you go. Please do. This is my happy place. So. Good. Good. Good Thanks. to see you. You too. Well, that was my conversation with April Kaiserlian. And may we all have the courage to notice the different ways we may be avoiding our own pain and suffering. And may we find the courage to turn towards it, face it down with deeper compassion curiosity, and maybe even a little bit of humor.